Abundance of love Abundance of grace Now to that cross You took my place Oh God You paid my ransom My ransom Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Out of 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. I want to read this in the King James, then in the New Living Translation. Or we'll read it. In, put it in the King James first for me, Kari. Here's what the Bible says. Hereby perceive we the love of God... Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Let's look at it in a more modern version. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Pray with me, God. Thank you for this time together as family, Lord. I pray you'd speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. This verse of Scripture has stood out to me for so long, for so many years, and I really wanted to um, do a teaching tonight on these last uh, three verses in this pericope in the middle of John chapter 3, but I'm just going to focus on verse 16, um, versus just handing off the mic to Elder Robin and letting him finish so I can go lay down. Um, But I want you to get this one concept in your mind tonight. Look at what it says. We know what real love is. How incredible is that? Now, you've been learning these principles at Abundant Life for a long time of how to understand the Bible when you read it. And one of them I always give to you um, are the when the Bible says us or we, it's talking to who? Christians, primarily to Christians, with some exceptions. But if it says us, it's talking to Christians. They, it's talking to non-Christians. And the Scripture says we know. So if you're a Christian, you know something that the world doesn't know. See, we know what real love is. Another principle we work on a lot, the principle of what's inferred or the, principle, the biblical principle of inference. Using the biblical principle of inference, if the Bible says we know what real love is, what, what does that say for they? They don't know what real love is. And this is what I want you to understand about every unsafe family member and friend you have. They don't know. They don't know. I'll give you, I went from higher criticism of exegesis, now I'll give you ghettoism. They don't know what they don't know. Do you understand? You don't know what you don't know. I don't know what I don't know. And they sure don't know what they don't know. Are you getting me? They don't know. I get desperately wanting to see somebody you care about be saved. I get it. I've got a name on a three-by-five card in my Bible that I look at every time I open this book. And I've been praying for the same person's salvation for over 35 years. Um, I can remember when I first got saved, nobody in my family was going to church. And um, Dina had moved away. She just moved back in. Um, she figured I was weirding out on something. My mom figured I was tripping out on some new drug. And 
I was just praising God and staying up all day and all night reading the Bible and singing and, and, and cleaning up around the house, something I'd never done, and folding laundry, something I'd never done, and trying to be helpful, and something I'd never done. And, and Dina finally pulled me off to the side and said, well, what's going on? This I know you. And so I shared with her. Uh, she eventually ended up getting saved, and uh, we desperately wanted to see my mom get saved. We were leaving gospel tapes around and comedy, gospel comedy around and just and my mom was so angry about us being saved because here's her children telling her that we know something that she doesn't know and it she was so angry about it i don't know if you remember that but she was so angry about it uh y'all don't i i took y'all to church i was going to church y'all and she sent us to church i don't ever remember my mom being mom but she would say you weren't in church fourth day of your life i took you to church okay i was christened as a catholic in church um, but she, she was just mad about it. And she didn't know that she didn't know what real love was. She didn't know that she didn't know what me and her daughter knew. But we kept living it in front of her. And she wouldn't come to church with us. She was so mad at the church, because some of y'all have heard my I haven't always been this way uh, sermon. And literally, I got saved. Late night, Wednesday, early Thursday morning, about 3.30 in the morning, by myself beside my bed, reading a little gift Bible that I'd had my whole life. And I went to church that Sunday morning, made a public profession of faith. I went back. They said, we got church Sunday night. You want to come back? And I'm like, this is my life. This is what I'm about. I gave my life to God. I'm for real with this. Went back Sunday night. Some young people said, we have a youth Bible study tomorrow night. Would you like to come? Absolutely. I wasn't working. I was a career criminal. I was breaking into people's homes and stealing stuff and selling stuff on the side. I had no job, no anticipation of having a job. I went from a gifted program for geniuses to a common thief on the street uh, with no job, never took an SAT test, never took an ACT test till later in life, never had a plan for college. Dina went from high school straight to junior college, moved off, went to university up in the Carolinas. I just knew I was just going to be a thug. I was, I was good at what I did. I could sell drugs, and I could break in your house and steal enough stuff to live on. So I didn't have a job to go to. I, I didn't have school to go to. Uh, I didn't trust but a certain few thugs that were in my life, and I didn't want to be around them, but I could make myself uh, a Christian. I'd, I'd made this decision for Christ, so I went Monday night. They said, we're going to watch the men play softball tomorrow night. You want to go? I'm like, I got nothing on the schedule for the rest of my life but, but being in church. <laughs> Tuesday night. It's the first week of salvation. I've been to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. Monday night Bible study. Tuesday night, we went and watched the men's softball game. What these new Christian people, and they were accepting me, and they were talking to me, and they were giving me Christian tapes to listen to um, and telling me I need to quit listening to that music that was poisoning my brain and uh, whatever you say. I mean, because I'm an all-in guy. Wednesday night Bible study. Thursday night, door-to-door soul winning visitation. First week of being a Christian. I'm standing there. Hi, my name's Scott. We're from the Hillcrest Baptist Church tonight, and we're just coming out telling people how they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you have a few moments we can speak to you about your need for God? Slam next door. They had a local ministry on Friday and Saturday night called The Peacemaker. It was for teens and young adults. They invited me to come to that on Friday night church, Saturday night church, Sunday morning church, Sunday night back to church, Monday night Bible study, Tuesday night back to watching the men play softball, Wednesday night church again, Thursday night door-to-door soul winning visitation, Friday and Saturday night peacemaker, Sunday morning back to church, third week in salvation. I haven't missed church one day 
in three weeks. That, go, that went on, that schedule went on for three and a half weeks and came to a, a blinding halt on a Tuesday night because the men were playing in a tournament out of town and there was no softball game. Now, this was the summer of 1981. So all these kids were out of school, and so they were just, you know, at church all the time. And I didn't have a school to be in, so I was at church all the time. We had been together for like 25 days in a row, and we were all like, well, what are we going to do tomorrow? There's no church. And it was, it, was, it was on me hard. I mean, I'm a Christian now. I'm supposed to be in church. And so we met at the Normandy Mall, and we sat on the hoods of our cars, and we read Bible to each other, and we sang Christian songs. And then Wednesday night, it was back to church. Thursday night, back to soul winning visitation. And, and that's how I came in to God. And my mom saw that. And you might, you might understand as a parent, you got a kid who has been nothing but trouble his whole life. You got a kid who has been suspended. You got a kid who has been in the dean's office his whole life. You got a kid that's had you. My mom had to go. I remember the first time my mom ever had to go to a school behind me. Um, we moved back to America. I went to kindergarten, first and second grade in England. We moved back to America when my parents got divorced between um, second and third grade. And I was in third grade, and my mom had to come up. I got in a fight in third grade, first year back in America. My mom, uh, which, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. My mom goes up to school. They call her. You know, I was that kid whose parent was always getting called up to school. But the reason I remember is because my mom is that same type of crazy. And the teacher said something she didn't like. So my mom slapped the teacher and started beating the teacher up. And that was just the type of life that my mom expected me to be in. So when she saw me going to church, she thought it's a cult. Nobody goes to church. Like, I mean, because the average person doesn't conceive that there's 25 days of church in a row. That just, that's not even normal for us, and we go to church more than most people go to church. I mean, the 21 days in a row that we're doing right now is just unheard of for most people. Um, and it's only a once-a-year thing for us. My mom called the church and asked them, what, what, what type of cult are you and what type of brainwashing have you put on my son? Because she didn't want my sister following into, into whatever cult I'd been drugged in, drug into. But here's the thing. She didn't know what she didn't know. I'd found a love that I'd never had before. See, I'm like, I'm like the, the woman who said, Come and see a man who it was easy for me to respond to God's love because I'd never had it from anybody. And it meant so much to me. It had never been a time in my life since I got saved that I've strayed far from Christ. Because he showed me a love that I'd never seen. And we've got to remember the people that we care about, they don't know that. 
if they're not saved, they don't know what real love is. So here's what you're going to get out of people. They're not going to understand you. They're not going to understand why you're coming up to church all the time. They're not going to understand why you're giving your money. And this is what they always say. And I swear, I hope neither one of my boys become a pastor. Because it is the worst job in the world. If you're not called by God to do it, it is the worst thing on the planet. If I could quit, I would quit. Because I hear this all the time. I hear this from spouse to spouse. Why are you giving all your church? Why, why are you giving your money to that preacher? Why are you taking your money up there to that preacher? Why are you always up there listening to that preacher? And I hope nobody is coming to give anything to the preacher. We come to do what we do for God because we know what real love is. And it should be to you like Peter in St. John's Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus saw all the people leave him. And he looked at his closest followers and he said, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where could we go? We believe and we are sure that you are the only one that has the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. Peter burnt up his boats. There was no plan B. There was no exit ramp. There wasn't no quitting this thing for him. He wasn't trying Christianity. Christianity found him and overtook him with a love that he had never known before. But now he could say, I know what real love is. Because I understand that Jesus gave up his life for us. You can tell a non-believer, but Jesus died for you. And that's less than water off a duck's back. That's less than nothing to them. And they can know it. And they can tell you, I know Jesus died on the cross for me and rose again. But it doesn't mean anything to them. But if your baby girl or your baby boy was hanging off a ledge about to fall into a volcano. And Elder Robin grabbed them by the hand and pulled them to safety you would have a heartfelt appreciation. He would have found a new place in your heart. A new love would be found because you would, you would put a gap between just saying it and having a feeling attached to it. When you say that I know that Jesus died for me, I know that Jesus gave up his life for me, you need to have a different gap in saying that as a believer than a non-believer saying it from a head knowledge part to a place where it really touches you in your heart. He saved me when he didn't have to. He loved me when he didn't have to. He died for me when he didn't have to. See, here's the weird thing. I got a lot of weird things about me. I'll tell you about them as we, as we go to get through life together. But I've never doubted God. I've never doubted. I've never one time in my life have I doubted that God was. I've never doubted the existence of God. I meet people who said, well, sometimes I just wonder if it's all real. I've never wondered, there's never been a time in my life where I wondered if it was all real. There's never, there's never been a time in my life where I wondered if Jesus was really in heaven, if he really had holes in his hands and feet. There's never been a time in my life, not as a lost person even, even, even growing up, I never, I, I never thought anything other than that this all was true. 
And even as a Christian, I've never had doubts that all this is true and all this is real. I've never doubted God, but there have been a lot of times in my life where I've doubted me. I've never doubted that Jesus died on the cross so people could be saved. I've never doubted that God was real. I've wondered if he really loved me enough to let me in heaven. Because if he was going to not let somebody in, he should not let me in. That's the way I was programmed. But if you know not that he died, but that he gave up his life for us, that's where that whole importance hinges. It's on that word us. He didn't just die for people. He died for us. That means when you say us, you are included in a group that something was done for. And if you believe that he died for you, then there is no end to your repayment for that love, for that sacrifice. That's why we saw last week in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that giving everything we have is a reasonable service for us. It's the least we could do, one version says. How do we sit at home and not come when he told us to gather together in his name until he comes back to get us? I don't want to be in bed when the Lord comes back watching TV, sitting in some bar somewhere when the Lord comes back and the saints of God are gathered together. I want to be with the saints, the people that Jesus gave up his life for. So we know something. We know what real love is. We know a different level of love than what unsaved people know. And I want you to let that simple truth impact the way you view unsaved people. You can't drag them into Christ. You can't push them. You can't, you can't nag them. You can't, you can't even lead them. You just have to pray that God would show them his love. Because God's love is stronger than anything else. And God's love can get through to people that we can't get through to. I had been in a ton, a ton of church services growing up. Dina was always the leader in our family. And Dina, Dina played mom more than she played any other role. But Dina was always in the National Honor Society. She was president of her class. She was, she was always the head cheerleader, captain of the flag, whatever, whatever it was. Dina, Dina was always out front and leading. Dina was the, the head of our youth group. We were two lost people going to a church youth group. Why? Because we could go on hayrides uh, and, and, and pair up with, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends and, and get behind sand dunes. And we went, I don't even know if you went on that Disney World trip with uh, Jimmy Jernigan. Uh, the pastor's oldest son came and brought a bunch of weed, and everybody got high, and we were throwing lamps out the windows into the pool and tore the ho- hotel up, and they threw us out of it. Um, we weren't going to church for God, but we were in church all the time. And we could quote Bible verses, and we could tell folk about church and Jesus and all that. But we didn't know what real love was. We didn't know what real love was. Riding around, uh, Dina can tell you. It was my, I don't tell my stories because you wouldn't believe my stories. They wouldn't believe my stories. 
You, you certainly wouldn't believe. Dina was carrying around gallons of whole grain alcohol. And drink, drinking hot moonshine whole grain liquor because nothing was quicker for her. And chugging out of a gallon jug whole grain alcohol. But we knew how to talk church. She was president of the youth group. We talked church to anybody. But we didn't know about the love of God until we were born again. And the unsaved people that you care about, they don't know. So don't get frustrated with them. I know it's easy. I can remember because mom was mad about it. And I just wanted her to get saved. And I heard a Keith Green song in that first year of salvation in 1981. And if you haven't listened to Keith Green, you should. And he wrote a song to his parents because he had been nagging them for a long time about being a Christian. And in their mind, he he was nagging them. And in part of the song, it said, but it's only that I care. I really, really, really just only want to see you there. And that's why my mom thought I was nagging her. I just wanted to see her there. First month I was saved, I asked my mom for my grandmother's phone number. I didn't know my grandmother that well. To me, she was just a crazy old lady. We went and saw a couple times on vacation. But I want to make sure my grandmother knew Jesus. And we need to have a longing to see our family members get saved. We need to have a love. Some of you have unsaved spouses. Some of you have unsaved children. Some of you have unsaved brothers and sisters and cousins that you care about. Please understand that you know what this is about, but they don't know. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray that God would show his love to them. Because when God shows his love to them, they're going to respond. The Bible says no one can come to God unless the Spirit of God draws them. He draws them with his love. Now, yes, the, 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 the actions that we do, the words that we speak, they all, they, we sow seeds and we water seeds. But when God opens their eyes and takes the blinders off their eyes and they get to see how loving and how good this God is, they will respond to that. We know something they don't know. And then it says, so. That word so, an English major would understand what that word so means. It should be better termed because of that. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So, because of that, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. I'm overwhelmed at the servitude of many people in this church. I'm underwhelmed at the servitude of many people in this church. But I know this. <coughs> I know that if we have somebody announce a need, and we've had last-minute need, somebody needs somebody to help, come, help them come move, people ride out and go. Somebody needs something done, 
let the church know we'll send somebody. We, we, we're here to show love to each other. This is why we can't just love God. We've got to love people. Because God said, because we know what real love is, we, because we know Jesus gave up his life for us, we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. <coughs> Put it in King James and I'll be done. <coughs> Hereby perceive we the love of God. This is how we understand it, because he laid down his life for us. And, that word and, so because, based on what you just heard, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We got to get to a place where it's always about more than us. The devil wants you to make it about you. The devil wants me to make it about me. I don't recommend coming to church when you're really dog sick. But I just like being in church. I never come because it's my job. I've never, I've never come to church one time because it was my job. If I didn't feel like being there, I'd tell somebody else to do it. I love coming to church. I love being around people that love the Lord. You give me strength. To face my challenges. You help my children see good people. My children have seen the worst of church. You wonder why pastor's kids, they always talk about PKs, worst kids in the world. You wonder why pastor's kids turn out so crappy? Because they see the church close up in full color. They see people just stab their dad. They, they have seen me leave them at home when they were sick. So I could go to somebody's house to counsel somebody because the husband was beating the wife up. And they wondered, when do they count? And then I try to make them count till the next time somebody. And, and then, ultimately, the same people that I put my kids on the back burner for, by and by, stab me in the back. And my kids look at it and see, my dad tossed us to the side for that. Preacher's kids see the worst of it all. But I hope they see the best of it all, too. Pray for my kids. I don't want them to turn out like preacher's kids. I'm a little bit more real and raw than most preachers, and I hope my kids don't turn out churchy. And I hope they don't turn out hating God because they saw the pain that it puts their dad through. To, to deal with the foolishness of folk. But we got to love each other. We got to love each other. We got to give our lives for each other. And sometimes that means you're going to do something for somebody that is going to stab you in the back. But we can't be gauging. Do I get up and go help this person right now? Are they worth it? Are they for real? Do they deserve it? We can't gauge it like that. Because we didn't deserve Jesus dying for us. We weren't worth Jesus dying for us. And we certainly weren't for real for Jesus dying for us. But we know something. We understand God's love in a way that no one else does. Because we get it. And because we get it, we ought to have a love for each other 
that says, man, if he did all that for me, I'm going to put my life on hold. Listen, I know it's, it's no fun. You've been waiting all week long for your favorite game, and it's on, and, and somebody calls and says, hey, we need, we need some people to come up to the church and move some tables. Can you come? Nobody wants, nobody's like, yippee. Nobody's like, yeah, man, I'm so glad you called me. I just, I, just put, I just made my favorite snacks. I just laid everything out. I got my friends over here. No, but we do it. Why do we do it? Because he did it for us. Why do we drag ourselves in here on Wednesday night? Because he drug himself to Calvary. Why do we come when we're hurt? Because he did what he had to do when he was hurt. Why do we put up with foolishness of church people? People quit church and people ask me, are you surprised so-and-so quit? And I tell them, if y'all knew everything I know about church, everybody would quit. But where else are we going to go? It's what Peter said to Jesus. There is only one Christian church. We are the church of God worldwide. Whether we call ourselves Baptist, Catholic, Charismatic, Episcopals, non-denominational, born again, whatever you want to call yourself, if you truly are born again, there's only one group of God's people. And we have to love each other. And we have to serve each other. We have to care for each other because we're the family of God. So let's be that. Put God first. Put serving God first. See, not ideologically, like God's first in my heart. Put God first with your life. If you ever get to the place where you feel like you're serving too much, you're not spending enough time with God. Servitude can become overwhelming, tiring, and make you bitter if you're not enjoying your personal time with God. You won't be that way if you let the joy of the Lord be your strength. He'll empower you to get up and do it all again. He'll empower you to drag yourself through it one more time. Falling down and getting up. Forgiving those that don't deserve forgiveness. Loving those that don't deserve love. Hanging in there with those that you could walk away from. Because he loved us. Everything in your life ought to be based on the fact that he loves you. Why do you come to church? Because God loves me. Why do you give money? Because God loves me. Why do you want to be the best spouse you can be? Because you know that God loves you. And he's been better to you than you deserve. So let's really understand the love of God. And let's realize that if he did it for us, we ought to do it for others. That acronym of joy, it's not biblical, but it's got a biblical concept. J O. J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. If you will put Jesus first, serve him, serve others, and just let go of whatever left for yourself, you'll find real joy.
Joy will not be found in self-service. Joy will be found in understanding that God laid down his life for us. And he expects us to love and to serve each other. Not because anyone deserves it. If everybody quit every church that didn't deserve to have members, the church would dry up. But if everybody realized the head of our church is God, we'll have that Peter mindset that says, where else are we going to go? The only person that has the words of life is Jesus. The only person that we can follow to get to God is Jesus. So we have to follow Jesus because he died for us, because he loves us. We ought to love him and we ought to love each other. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for laying your life down for us. Please help us, empower us to love you and to love each other the way we should. God, I pray for the unsaved friends and family that we have represented in this room. God, I pray that you would help us. To realize that we know what they don't know. And let us love them with a compassion and a tenderness that draws them to your love. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.